Just over a month ago, the news from Iran sounded like this. Health officials are now citing concerning numbers of cases in countries other than China. We mentioned last night Iran confirming five cases and two deaths. Today, that rose to 18 cases and four deaths. An Iranian politician has died after contracting the coronavirus as health authorities there reported 21 new deaths over the past 24 hours. The grim ranks of the unburied clutter the floor of an Iranian morgue. Some of the coronavirus's victims have to be treated with Lyme before burial. And then, a lot of the news cameras shifted away from Iran as the battle against COVID-19 heated up in Italy and the United States. But back in Iran, people were left wondering what was going on. Even on the, the national TV, they're not giving enough information to people. Until recently, they, they weren't saying anything about it. The government is not telling us the truth. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Is this a simple case of the Iranian government not telling the truth? Or is it more complicated? In the best of times, it can be hard to find out what's going on in Iran. And now, as the entire world is fighting this virus, maybe there's a lesson to learn from what's happened there. To find out, we called up Iran. Um, I'm Homa. And we asked. We asked a 20-something Iranian who was trying to keep her family safe, a lauded professor of political science, and a doctor in the capital of Tehran, working in the COVID-19 hospital ward. Homa, who you just heard from, lives in northern Tehran. She's the 20-something, and we're just using her first name here. Apart from her frustration with the government, personally, she's doing fine. Um, I'm 27. I'm an English teacher and artist. But right now, because of the situation, I just focus on my art and work from home. Because of the coronavirus, most people in Tehran are trying to stay home. The streets are almost empty. It's eerie, she says. She can't go out to teach anymore, and... Her art's been suffering, too. Because I'm staying at home all the time, I kind of get uh, a creative block sometimes. More than 3,000 people in Iran have died of COVID-19 so far. That's compared to 30,000 in Europe and more than 4,000 in the United States. Homa acknowledges her problems are small. It's her family she worries about. My father is above 60. (laughs) As she talks about her dad, her nervous laugh keeps interrupting. He has diabetes, he has lupus, he has arthritis, you name it. He he has all of them. (laughs) He smokes too. So he's very much at risk and we're all scared for him. And we keep telling him to stop smoking and take better care of yourself, but he just, he won't listen. Homa is managing to get her dad to spend less time outside with the help of the Iranian government. They recently closed all the parks. But her family is worrying about who might be coming into the house, too. Her brother, for instance. My brother is very stressed. He works in a company where they're laying off a lot of people, but the people keep showing up anyway. Homa says a lot of the workers can't afford to stay home. People kind of want to go to work to just be able to keep their jobs. And a lot of them have traveled to Qom and the cities that were hit. Just to catch you up, 
More than a month ago now, the first cases of COVID-19 in Iran were diagnosed in the city of Qom. So my brother has to go to work, and then he has someone that has recently traveled to Qom sitting in the same office as him. And he's just saying it's dangerous, and he keeps telling his boss that this is not a good idea, we're going to get sick. And, of course, Homa's brother is worried he might contract the virus, and then he could pass something on to their father. So? He doesn't visit my family because my, my father's at risk. Homa's scared, and she has reason to be. But is she right about the Iranian government's response? I'm not a professor of medicine, I'm a political scientist. Hamid Mosavi has been keeping a very close eye on what's happening with this new coronavirus in Iran. He's a political science professor at Tehran University. And like a lot of us, he's spending his days at home. We've actually been quarantined for over a month now in Iran. Universities, they closed almost five weeks ago. So Hamid's teaching online. And it's like a video conference similar to Skype. It's not as good as having in-person classes, but what can you do in these circumstances? Hamid also spent the Iranian New Year no ruse in quarantine. It began the 20th of March. And a lot of the celebrating this year has been listening to no ruse music online. Most people during the Nowruz festivals, they go back to where their parents live. There's like an exact time where the new year starts. And usually at that time, Iranians, they all gather around. Uh, this year it was around uh, 7.30 a.m. What did you do at 7.30 a.m. when the calendar changed, you and your wife? Um, Spoiler alert, not a lot. I mean, we were just trying to watch TV and, you know, <laughs> just trying <laughs> to see what is happening around you on. I want to go back to a little over a month ago when we first started seeing news of the virus in Qom. People started getting sick there, and this is an important political and religious city. Then politicians started getting sick, and then they started dying. What do you make of that initial spread? At least during the first few weeks, the number of cases and the number of deaths in Iran was pretty high, especially compared to other countries in the region. I don't think they really took it that seriously during the first week or two. I think the Iranian government was pretty much unprepared. The fact that several Iranian officials were infected during the first week, I think it actually um, lowered their effectiveness in dealing with it. There wasn't enough tests, you know, to conduct large-scale testing. And I think this is not the case only in Iran, but in other countries as well. 
the number of infected started rising, and so did the number of dead. And the total number of COVID-19 deaths in Iran up until noon today has surpassed 611. 1,556 people have unfortunately lost their lives. We have a total of 2,378 people who have definitely lost their lives to COVID-19. Kia Jahanpour, Iran's health ministry spokesman, was soon reporting 600 deaths and then more than 2,300. Iranians were worried. They started showing up at the hospitals in droves. The virus showed up in the prisons. 70,000 prisoners were reported released. And in mid-March, this Iranian study came out saying 3.5 million people could die from the disease. Then, this kind of surprising thing happened. From the numbers, it was looking like Iran was managing to flatten the curve. The growth rate of new cases was nowhere near other places. And that study was revised. Now, in a new study shared with Al Jazeera, those same academics are putting the maximum number of deaths at 1.4 million. Iranians, like people everywhere, don't always trust what their government's saying. So there has been some criticism from some Iranians and also from media outside of Iran that accuses the Iranian government of not reporting everything and, and not giving people all the details they need. What would your take on that be? What's your response to that? I do actually have a friend who's in the government task force to contain this virus. And when I talk to him, the issue is not really that the Iranian government is lying. The numbers they are declaring are the actual numbers they are getting. The issue of how accurate these numbers are really depends on how much testing you're doing. There is a definite issue of not being able to import the necessary number of test kits. So say if you're doing like 5,000 tests per day and you're getting like 2,000 people who are infected, If you start to increase the number of tests and say to 10,000, then you're going to get another number, which is going to be bigger. I don't think they're actually lying. It's the issue of having enough resources to actually come up with accurate numbers. So that's similar to what so many countries around the world are facing. But what is specific to Iran are sanctions imposed by the U.S. How are sanctions affecting Iran's ability to react to the coronavirus? I think the sanctions are very, very detrimental to Iran's ability both to contain the virus as well as to ensure the economic well-being of ordinary Iranians. And this is where the Iranian doctor comes in. Dr. Rasha Ahmadi is a specialist in emergency medicine, and she's working in a coronavirus unit in Tehran right now. We still need technology. Our patients don't just need the test kits and drugs. 
One of our patients was a 47-year-old male who was actually both an athlete and a mountain climber. But unfortunately, this virus, because sometimes in addition to lung and kidney, it also impacts the heart, the virus had impacted the heart muscle of this patient and caused viral myocardial infarction. And in spite of our two-hour rehabilitation, we could not save him, and we lost the patient. But on the other hand, we also had a patient who was a male, 71 years old, who had dementia and bladder cancer, but he hadn't started chemotherapy yet. And this patient was hospitalized for about three weeks in ICU and then one week in the corona section of the hospital. And right now he's with his family. He's been released. It's our chronic patients who are impacting the mortality rate during this pandemic. They need more aggressive equipment during their stay in ICU. Equipment like ventilators, oxygen machines, BPAP and CPAP. And because of the sanctions and the fact that Iranian bank accounts are blocked, it's impossible to buy this equipment. This is what's upsetting the medical workers. With sanctions, it's impossible to provide them. So there's all this equipment the Iranian hospitals don't have. And it's not just the hospitals, Hamid says. Iran is not really able to import even simple um, things such as face masks. Even though the United States keeps on saying that humanitarian goods such as medical equipment is not sanctioned. The United States does keep saying that. We want companies to take advantage of the exemptions in our sanctions regime for food, medicine, medical devices, and agricultural products. The problem is that because Iran's financial system, as well as the transportation industry, is sanctioned, essentially that means that you can't buy anything. So like even if you, for example, find a vendor who is selling face masks in Germany and you want to buy them and bring them to Iran, you cannot actually send any money to that seller because, again, the whole Iranian financial system has been sanctioned. We should say some aid has gotten in. The Chinese have provided a lot of aid in terms of uh, face masks and test kits, etc. And the Chinese ambassador in Iran has been very helpful in that regard. Uh, They also sent a team to help in regards to managing the situation just because of the experience they had. Nevertheless, I mean, even the Chinese are restricted um, based on these sanctions. The World Health Organization has also provided assistance, and the EU. The message can be confusing, though. Recently, Iran rejected the help of Doctors Without Borders. Iran is not really looking for charity. I mean, the Iranians are asking the Americans to halt the sanctions even temporarily. And that would essentially allow Iran to buy the equipment it needs. And I think that would really help with the situation. So... That's Iran's immediate solution. And in the U.S., there have been entire campaigns built around eliminating the sanctions because of the coronavirus. I worry every day as to whether or not my family in Iran will have proper access to testing kits, medical supplies, and hygienic equipment. Including a letter to the president, signed by presidential candidate and Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders. Former Vice President Joe Biden recently called for easing sanctions as well. We are urging every single member of U.S. Congress to sign on to the new congressional letter urging Secretary Treasury Steve Mnuchin to lift sanctions on Iran immediately. But rather than loosening sanctions, U.S. Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin just announced they're piling on more. 
We are announcing 17 specific sanctions. We will cut off billions of dollars of support to the Iranian regime, and we will continue our enforcement of other entities. So now, let's go back to Iran to talk about what's ahead long term. The sanctions on Iran, it's also having a secondary effect. I mean, I live in a um, high-rise building and the workers in the building, because a lot of them have been told to stay at home, and I'm talking about the cleaners, the guards, etc. The result of that is they're not getting paid because a lot of these people get paid per day. So if they don't show up for work, essentially that means that they don't get paid. In other countries, the government is asking people to stay at home and they are promising them, you know, that they will get paid, their loans will be forgiven or, you know, in the United States, almost a two trillion dollar stimulus package because of the virus. Now, in Iran, we haven't had any such um, dramatic stimulus package. And the reason for that is that the government doesn't actually have enough money because Iran's oil exports have come down to almost zero during the past year. And at the end of the day, that is going to make it very difficult for a lot of Iranians to stay at home in the long run. I mean, you can do it for a few weeks, but if you want to do it for a few months, then, you know, people have to get paid somehow. And the sanctions have had a very real effect in that regard. In the meantime. Iran is doing what it has to do, innovating. Some drugs and kits have started being produced locally because of Iran's problems. There are a few drugs, like tocilizumab, that we use for arthritic patients that's being used in a few hospitals in Isfahan and Abadan. It has improved the hospitalization time for COVID-19 patients, as well as those with severely infected lungs. The chloroquine drug, which we hadn't produced before, is now being used as part of a multidrug method. It was an anti-inflammatory drug to treat malaria, Now it's being made in Iran. But as far as the vaccine, Hamid's worried sanctions may affect that too. Even if the vaccine comes out, there is worry that whether Iran will be able to get it and how fast Iran would be able to get it. Again, because of these sanctions, Iran is dif- there's a lot of difficulty in importing goods. There's also the issue of cost. So if the vaccine is very expensive, again, because of the sanctions, Iran doesn't really have that much money. And I think that will also have a lot of politics when the actual vaccine comes out, especially if it's an American vaccine. Have you been going outside to steal grocery shop, take walks? What's been your routine when you're not teaching? So we do go occasionally grocery shopping, but I've actually found a online store to order all our groceries and we pay for it online and they bring it out to our door. I just thank them and I don't open the door and I wait for them to actually leave. Mm -hmm. And then we bring Mm -hmm. everything inside and then we have to, you know, disinfect everything. How close has the virus gotten to you personally? Do you know? One of my uncles died about two, three weeks ago, but he had a heart attack. He didn't have the virus. 
What happened was during the funeral, apparently a person had the coronavirus and around 15 of my relatives were infected as a result. Mm -hmm. I personally, I was lucky and I didn't get the virus, but I mean, that shows you the danger in uh, having gatherings, like even important ones such as funerals. So sorry to hear about your loss. Thank you. Are you fearful that the numbers might increase? There is definitely fear because on the 13th day of Nowruz is actually the day that Iranians go out on picnic. That was Wednesday of this week. And that festivity started in Iranian tradition. Because of that, the government has actually enforced much harsher measures since a few days ago. I mean, they have pretty much closed the roads between different cities. We checked back in with Hamid, and he sent us this sound of the streets of Tehran. It was a rainy day, a good day to stay in, and people mostly followed the quarantine order. He sounded relieved. And back in the coronavirus ward, Dr. Ahmadi is still trying to bring this global crisis to an end. این بود که خب توی دنیای پزشکی از نظر من جهان به دنیای قبل از کرونا و بعد از اون تبدیل میشه. The world is going to be divided into pre-corona and post-corona and after this ends the world will need to think together about taking new measures to confront these kind of problems. From what we've seen there isn't a country whose policy has been sufficient to deal with this crisis. And we really saw that borders at least in the way the industrial world has defined them, they seem like a big lie. We only have one Earth and one opportunity. Something we can't even see has defeated us. Maybe it's a cry to awaken us in the end. And that's The Take. This episode was produced by Amy Walters with Priyanka Tilbe, Ney Alvarez, Alexandra Locke, Dina Kispe, and me, Malika Bilal. Natalia Aldana manages our Twitter and Instagram pages. Follow us there at AJ The Take and tell your friends. Alex Roldan is the sound designer. Stacey Samuel is the executive producer. And Graylin Bashir is Al Jazeera's head of audio. And for those of you who had a quieter Noru's, we offer you this small gift combining a popular Nowruz tune with tips about how to stay healthy this year. Iranians are passing it around on WhatsApp and social media right now. You can find more Nowruz songs and a translation of the lyrics on our website, podcast.aljazeera.com slash the take.